Amen. If I get up here every Sunday after worship and it looks like I've been beat up a little bit because I'm just so thankful, man. I just sit over here and I just weep before the Lord because he's so incredibly good, isn't he? He's so good. Hey, have you ever known anybody with a uh, funny name? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody that you went to school with is just like, were they thinking when they named this child? You know what I mean? I was looking online at something the other day, and I know this is timely because Star Wars is out. I'm not going to give any spoilers, so I hadn't seen it yet, so don't tell me anything either. But uh, I saw in Cambodia there was a kid who legally changed his name, not kidding, to Jed I Knight. I'm not sure what the middle name is, but it starts with an I. Jedi Knight. No kidding. Uh, similar to that, over in Korea, uh, a common last name is Park. And staying with a the movie theme, I guess his family named him Jurassic Park. I, I don't know. This, you might take some pointers here. I don't know if you're pregnant, expecting. I've also heard of a guy by the name of Bud Light, um, Chris P. Bacon. It's true. Just real, real names. Uh, Donald Duck is actually a real name of somebody. And then some people would even name their child Elvis, which is the craziest of all that you can imagine. <laughs> See, I can do that because he's back in the office right now translating. But there's no telling what he's saying about me in Spanish. So that's the danger of that kind of joke right there. I saw on a, on a billboard somewhere about a dentist. No kidding. A dentist by the name of Dr. Hurt. I don't know that I would go into dentistry. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, and then, of course, there's some wedding announcements. These are, these are priceless. These two lovebirds come together, and the wedding announcement is, we hope you can make it to the McDonald Burger wedding, right? Or the Looney Ward wedding. Those are some of my favorite names. Listen, you got to be careful when you're naming your kids, especially. you got to be super careful. Here's some rules about naming your kids. Number one, you can't name a kid any of your past ex-boyfriends or girlfriends, Right? Or if there was just a weird kid in school, like, well, that name's off the, you know. It just has this visceral reaction when somebody says a name and you go, oh, no, I don't want my kid to grow up like that guy. You know what I mean? You got to be careful. I know when, when we were doing our kids' names, trying to think of our kids' names, we had to go through the whole name game deal where, you know, like, Daisy, Maisie, Waisy. You're trying to think of all the ways that maybe somebody could make fun of your kid. You know what I mean? And then you even do, like, the little song. I remember kind of going... Daisy, Daisy, well, banana fan. Okay, we kind of go through these silly games trying to prevent your children from this abuse that might take, take on uh, later on. Um, I remember when we were naming our kids, you know, one of the things about our relationship, mine and Lori's, is I, from college when we met, I loved to give her daisies. I, I lo- as a flower, I just loved to give her daisies. Uh, I don't know why. I just, and in fact, I remember putting it in a card you know, simple, perfect, and true or something. That's why I love you. I wasn't a poet. But uh, anyway, I gave her these daisies, and it kind of caught on. And so all the time, and still to this day, I like to bring home daisies and just to give to my wife. Well, i never forget, I was on a plane somewhere, and I remember thinking, you know what? We, um, we love daisies so much. What if God were to give us a little girl? How cool would it be if God was to give us a little girl and we could actually name her Daisy? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, God is good. And uh, our first little girl's name is Daisy Joy Klein. And she is her daddy's joy. That's the reason I gave her the name Joy, because that's what she would be to me. Well, 
So then we had a little surprise a few years later. Uh, and we were not used to surprises. We were infertile for 12 years. So we didn't get, we hadn't had a whole lot of surprises. You know what I mean? And so uh, we had never been pregnant on kind of on our own uh, for 15 years of our marriage. And out of nowhere, here comes our, our second child. And we're trying to think of a name, right? And so I'll give you, some of you have asked this question before. So I'm going to put an end to the mystery here. Um, how many of you have seen the movie Elf with Will Ferrell? You seen that movie? It's quickly becoming a Christmas classic, wonderful movie. Well, the, the girl in the movie, her name is Jovi. And yes, that is partially where we got the name Jovi. Um, I saw it and I remember I'm kind of talking through it and looking, thinking about it. What does it mean? Well, then we started looking at what it means. And actually the name Jovi means God will add. And I thought, huh, well, there's one thing for sure about this pregnancy we didn't add this pregnancy. This is a God thing, right? So um, there's no question that God has added this precious child to our family. So we have Jovi May, Daisy Joy, and Jovi May. Names are very important. What you're named is important. It uh, sometimes goes with who you are and how you live and what you do. I know there are hundreds, hundreds of names of God. We saw a few of them rolling up here, and we've sung this morning about the names of God, and those are good. And I thought it would be kind of neat for us this morning to take a, a kind of a myopic sort of look at the names given to Messiah in the Christmas story. So if we look at the names given through prophecy of Messiah, and we look even in the Christmas stories of, of Messiah, there's a bunch of them. In fact, we're going to look at 10 of them today. So we're going to have to roll through it pretty quick, all right? Are you with me? All right, so we're going to we're go through this pretty quick. Uh, we're going to start with the, the passage that Elvis gave us this morning, uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I want us to read this. This will be on the screen if you're reading along. It says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Isn't that good? I love that one. Now listen, what's so interesting about this, go back to the beginning. For unto us a child is born. The next statement doesn't even really have to be in there. You wouldn't think if it was some other ruler, some other king. You could just say, for unto us a child is born and the government will be on his shoulders, right? But instead, we see the first title given to Messiah. The very first title. What's the second line say? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. I, I'm a son. I have that title as well. And I'm proud of the title that I carry as son. I am the son of Don and Pat Klein. I belong to them. I, uh, I am who I am today because of them, Right? Your name uh, kind of designates your identity. It also designates your value, right? So if somebody would come to you and say, hey, my name is Winthrop Rockefeller, you might go, ooh. You know what I'm saying? His name would connect to his identity, and you might think, well, it might also connect to his worth or his value. Hi, I'm Jack Stevens. Nice to meet you. Ooh. You know what I mean? Sometimes when you meet people, their name carries, obviously, who they belong to, their identity, 
as well as their value or their worth. Well, then who is the son of God? He's connected, right, to God Almighty. That's his identity and his worth. It's infinite. It's infinite. There's no, there's no way to describe his worth as son of God. Son of God speaks that he is the son of deity. He is God. He, he is God. I love these scriptures about the gift that he is to us and the fact that he is the son of God. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Son. He gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And Luke 1, it's a repeat of a prophecy in uh, verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. He's the son of God, but he's also in scripture called the son of what? Man, right? He's the son of God and he's the son of man and he is equally both. And that is what's so amazing about this. Son of man speaks to his humanity, right? Son of God speaks to his deity. Son of man speaks to his humanity. He is both God and man. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit, so he's God. Right? But he's born of a virgin, so he's man. He's the God-man. It's very important. It's very important, right? He's both deity and humanity. Uh, Jesus refers to himself mostly as the son of man. In the New Testament, we see him referring to himself mostly as the son of man, which literally just is like saying humanity. I'm a human being. You might remember phrases that Jesus has given us like uh, the son of man, who's come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know that phrase that he's given us? You see, only God could pay a price for us. He's the only one worthy. The value connected to him as son of God is the only one who could actually pay the price for us. But as man, right, he's tempted, he's faced what we've faced, and he is the sacrifice for us. God Man, it's important that God has not just given us a child. He's given us this first title this morning. He's given us a son, right? Here's some other titles. We've got five of them total in Isaiah 9. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of, uh, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Well, son is a title showing who he is, but all these other titles kind of show what he does, right? Let's look at them individually here. Uh, in the Hebrew, Wonderful Counselor is Pele Yatz. So Pele means this. It means beyond understanding. It's, in fact, it's just too wonderful for words. We can't even put it in words. It's too wonderful. It's too great. And yachts means this. It means to advise or to consult. Have you ever had a, a friend, and I, know, I hope that we've all had this friend. You ever had a friend that you know so well and they know you so well, you can walk up and they can say, what's wrong? You know what I mean? Larry and I were together this week, and he's a good friend of mine. And uh, he said, after we had met for a while, he said, I could tell there was something going on in your heart. I could tell, man. So as we had lunch later in the week, he said, I know you. That's a good friend. Somebody that can read your face and your body language and know something's not just right, you know. Those are the kind of people who become great um, counselors for us. You know why? Because we feel like they've been where we've been. 
I don't know about you, but if there's ever been somebody in your life that has gone through something and you know they've struggled, you know they've faced a difficult time, and then you meet somebody else who's gone through a difficult time in the same way, you can say, man, can I just connect you to this guy? And when you meet, it makes it so much easier. You can right off the bat begin to talk about the struggle or whatever it is that you faced. All of a sudden, you realize this is so much better because they've been where I've been, and I need a friend in this way. That's a good counselor. In fact, in Scripture, it's a wonderful counselor. Look with me in this in this. Uh, Text in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, Jesus has been tempted in every way that we have. That's why we can in confidence come to him. And say, Father, I'm struggling. Lord Jesus, this is where I'm walking through. Can you help me? I know you've walked this road. We can in confidence come to him and know that he is going to sympathize with us. Because in every respect, he's been tempted as we are. He understands. He's been there, yet he didn't sin. He's been there, yet he didn't sin. I love this scripture in Luke. Jesus says, Luke 5, 31, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, right? So as a wonderful counselor, this is who Jesus can be to us. What are you facing? Where are you sick? What are some areas in your life, and I'm, I may be speaking physically, I may be speaking mentally or emotionally or financially or any area of your life, what are some areas where you need a great counselor, a wonderful counselor beyond description? That's who he wants to be to you. But let me just offer this little side note. If you're going to come to the counselor, if you're going to come to the great physician, you can't go, like we were, just can you imagine going to the doctor and you've got a compound fracture, there's a bone sticking out of your leg, and he's like, how are you feeling? You're like, I'm great. <laughs> Doing pretty good, to be honest with you, I'm feeling pretty good. doctor's like, huh. What about, the, uh, what about the bone sticking out of your leg? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. It doesn't make sense, does it? Yet that's what we do with God all the time. He sees the brokenness in our lives. He sees the brokenness in our hearts. And yet we come to him and we don't want to be honest. Listen, when you come to the wonderful counselor, would you be honest? Just say, Lord, this is the truth of my life. He already knows the truth of your life. Say, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. Would you heal me where I am with what I have? Here's the next thing we see in that text. He's called Mighty God. And you step it up a notch, right, from counselor to God. I love the way Jeremiah puts it. Jeremiah 32, 17 through 19 says this. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel, And mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of his children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Jeremiah's saying, you created the heavens and the earth by your mighty power. Some of you are saying, well, he's talking about God. No, let me correct you. He's talking about Jesus. Because in Colossians, in the very first chapter, it says that, speaking of Jesus, that by him and for him, And in him and through him, Jesus 
created all that there is. Jesus created. That's who he's speaking of, right? Nothing is too, po- too impossible. Nothing is too hard for our mighty God. If he can create everything from nothing, nothing is too hard or impossible for our God. And I'll be honest with you, I put this down sort of in a, in a personal way. You know why I love the fact that one of his titles is Mighty God? It's so that I don't have to be. One of the guys that I like to, to read, Tony into Vision, says this, Jesus is somebody, that way I can be nobody. Because he's somebody, I can be nobody. And listen, because he's mighty God, you don't have to be mighty at all. You don't have to be mighty at all. In fact, 2 Corinthians 12 says, for when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When I truly embrace my weakness, that's when I can take the help of a mighty God. Acts 1.8, you remember the scripture that is given, Jesus gives to the disciples. He says, wait. And after you've waited a little while, a few days, then the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you'll be my witnesses to the world. He didn't say, hey guys, I'm going to really train you. I'm going to really equip you. You're going to be awesome. You're going to change the world. No, he says, really just wait because the power is not yours. It's mine. That's why he's the mighty God. He does things through us. Look at me. He does things through us, every one of us, because it's not us. It's his power. It's his grace. It's his goodness. He's the mighty God. We don't have to be. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, right? Here's the next name he's given. Everlasting Father. At Christmas, when you think about this, Everlasting Father. Now, some of you, when you hear the term Father, you automatically begin to just kind of go, oh, no thanks. No thanks. Maybe you didn't have a great childhood. And whenever you think about the Heavenly Father, immediately you're connected to your earthly father who screwed it up somehow. He messed up life. He messed up your view of who God is. Because listen, our earthly fathers will indeed very much so either give us a beautiful view of who God is supposed to be or mess up who he is in our perspective. That's what, that's what we do. It's a lot of weight on our shoulders, dads. But we can't help to realize this is the truth. By the father that we are will be how our children will see our heavenly father. So some of you are saying, fathers, I, uh, I don't know about father. I, one of my favorite songwriters and, and artists is a guy by the name of John Mayer. And I think his, maybe his best song he's ever written is a song called Daughters. Now, I have two daughters, so I'm a little biased, I'll be honest with you. And I love the chorus in the song. It says, fathers, be good to your daughters. Daughters will love like you do. Girls become lovers who turn into mothers. So mothers, be good to your daughters too. See, they're going to just do what we do. That's why we have to be good fathers, good mothers. We have to, to raise them in such a way that will honor Christ. Because how they see us will be how they see God. When I think about a father, I think, what, what does a father do? What are, the, what are the good things that a father should be? I just wrote down a few things. They ought to be caring. They ought to provide. They ought to protect. They ought to encourage. They ought to mentor and disciple. They ought to love. They ought to support. This is what it's saying about our everlasting father. 
Jesus is those things for us forever. He's our everlasting father forever. He'll forever care and provide. Matthew 7, 11, he says this. He says, if then you who are evil, in other words, what he's saying is, those of you who have sin, I don't have sin, but for those of you who have sin, you know how uh, to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what's no, so awesome about this is this carries on for every aspect of God as a father, right? It applies in every, every area. So listen, how much more does, does Jesus care for us? How much more does he provide for us? Does he protect us? Does he encourage us? Does he love us? Does he support us? Because all of those things apply to him as everlasting father. Here's the next title he's given. This is a popular one. We like this one. We use this one a lot. Prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. Comes from the same text of scripture in Isaiah. The Hebrew is Sar Shalom. Sar Shalom. So prince of peace. Sar uh, basically means things like this. He's one in control. He's the captain. He's the chief. He's the general. He's the prince. Shalom. It's deeper than just the word peace. Shalom means, it means uh, rest. It means tranquility. It means wholeness. It means completeness in every area. So it's kind of like saying that the Messiah is captain of rest. He's the Lord of tranquility. He's the chief of contentment. Craig Rochelle says he's the prince of peace. John 14, 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I love that scripture because he's saying, it's almost like this tangible thing. I'm gonna leave my peace with you. I'm gonna, a peace, I'm gonna give you this peace and it can stay with you. But it's not the peace the world gives. This is what this means, listen. For those of us who know Jesus and we have accepted him, we have taken this birth and what it means to us as Prince of Peace is we, we live under this covering of the Prince of Peace. When we step out of that covering, we may not have peace. Some of you today are looking at me going, well, I've got some struggles in my life. And yeah, you're right, I don't have a whole lot of peace. My question is, are you living within the covering of the Prince of Peace? Have you, have you chosen to step out or never step in to who he is and the life that he gives you? Because he wants to give you peace. Look at this scripture in uh, Philippians. Paul gives us in Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And, and the peace of God, which uh, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me break this down just a little bit. So those of us who walk in him, this is kind of giving uh, an explanation of what we would do. When we trust him as our prince of peace and we live under this covering as the prince of peace, we're not gonna be anxious about anything. Instead, we're gonna pray and we're gonna pray for others and we're gonna do so with thankful hearts because we know he's got this, right? So let our requests be known to God and then when we live under that covering, look at this then, then the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, 
will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But if we're living outside of that covering, we can't know that peace. He wants to be the prince of peace, but he also can only do that if you allowed him to be that, to come under his covering. He's the peace who comforts us, but praise God, he's the one who saves us, right? Romans 5.1 says we've been justified by faith, and because of that, we now have peace. If you've never trusted Jesus to be your savior, if you've never said, Lord, I want you to be the master of my life, I wanna live under this covering, I wanna walk in the way you want me to walk, if you've never done that, you may not have peace. In fact, I would say you don't. You might have moments where you think you do, but trust me, there's gonna come a time where you can't make sense of it unless you come under the covering of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. He wants to cover you. He wants to give you a peace that you can't even hardly understand and the world will never get. Here's the next title given to Messiah. It's out of, out of Micah. We've, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks I want to break this verse down just a little bit more this morning. Micah 5, 2, he says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrath, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And I love this. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So let me, let me explain this. There are two Bethlehems. There's a Bethlehem in the north. There's a Bethlehem in the south. Jesus was born in the Bethlehem in the south in Judah. And so uh, that's the reason he gives a distinction in this prophecy. He's going to be born in this one in the south, Ephrathah. And that basically means fruitful. It's a kind of a, a context of the region. It's a fruitful region. And he's saying that you're going to be a ruler over all of Israel. It's consistent with the Isaiah prophecy, right? The government shall be upon his shoulders, you know. Speaking of his uh, being a ruler. Now, what I love about this prophecy, it's kind of two things. It says, one, Jesus will be born, Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, but his rule, this is a messianic later. It's kind of a now and later, you know what I mean? He's going to be born in Bethlehem, but his messianic rule will be later. Kind of speaks to both aspects of him as Messiah. Also, Psalm 110 prophetic psalm of Jesus being over the, the throne of David, um, speaks to his prophetic nature of him later on. Revelation 1.5 says this, rulers of the, you'll be the ruler over the kings of the earth. And my favorite part of this whole scripture is this. The very last part of this scripture says, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And I'd say, yeah, that's, a, that's even a little understatement, right? God is from eternity past, Right? And I love the way that, that Micah's describing this. Eternity passed from ancient times. From ancient times. This is a perfect segue, by the way, of uh, the next title, which is from John. We go over to the New Testament. His title is The Word. John takes no time letting us know how awesome our, our, our God is. Verse 1 in John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Here's that statement again. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we skip down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son 
who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So Micah says his origins are from old, right, from ancient times. And, and what we could say is that's eternity past. And the way John puts it, it's from the beginning. It's from the beginning. What if we read this text and we just put Jesus' name in it just to help us get a better understanding of what this is? Let's do that. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What I love about John's description here is he didn't take a whole lot of chapters to kind of dig into who Jesus is, the character of Jesus, and then the big payoff, like so many books do, right? They've got to have this crescendo, and then now this is who Jesus is. No, from the very get-go, John says, we don't have time. Listen, this is who Jesus is. He is preeminent. He is the preeminent Christ. From the beginning, he is with God. He was God. He's creator. I love that he sets him up from the get-go, right, to show his preeminence. Uh, John Piper uh, helps explain, you know, just kind of asking this question, why does he call him the word? Have you ever wondered that? Why does John use this phrase, he's the word, the word made flesh? Why does he call him the word? Uh, this is the way John Piper puts it. It makes sense to me. John calls Jesus the word because he had come to see the words of Jesus as the truth of God and the person of Jesus as the truth of God in such a unified way that Jesus himself, in his coming and working and teaching and dying and rising, was the final and decisive message of God. Or to put it more simply, what God had to say to us was not only or mainly what Jesus said, but who Jesus was and what Jesus did. God's message to us is Jesus. He is the Word, right? Here's the next title. We've said it many times this morning, Messiah. He is Messiah. Now, what's interesting about this term, depending on how your Bible translates uh, this word, depends on how many times it shows up in your, in your Bible. If you have an NIV Bible this morning, then you're going to see Messiah throughout your Bible about 75 times. If you're reading out of what we use mostly is the English Standard Bible, it shows up twice. But I want you to know all the way back to the beginning of the story is prophecy of the Messiah. Even in Genesis, when it speaks of uh, the offspring of the woman crushing the head of the serpent, that's a messianic prophecy. All throughout Scripture speaks of Jesus, Messiah. I like this one in Matthew 1.18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, like I said, all through Scripture we see that this is a promise. We talked about it last uh, couple of weeks ago. The waiting and waiting thousands of years for him to come. He's been prophesied over and over again, and now he's coming. I love this uh, couple, of, couple of stories here out of the New Testament. John 1.41 Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. And it's so interesting to me. From the moment he meets Jesus, from the very moment, 
He doesn't go, hey, there's this really interesting guy who knows a lot about Old Testament. I think we ought to talk. That's not what he says. Remember what he says? He runs to Peter. He says, we have found the Christ or the Messiah. We have found him. From the get-go, Andrew said, that's the Messiah. we got to go, which explains why they drop their nets and they go, right? Or in John 4, where it's the woman at the well. I love this. She doesn't know who she's talking to, does she? Because she says, well, there's going to be a time, I know, when Messiah comes and he'll explain all things. And Jesus says, who you speak of, I am he. Can you imagine? Who you're talking about, who you've been waiting for, that's me. Oh, incredible. He is Messiah. Here's the next title given to our Lord. Isaiah 7, 14 calls him Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And we see this verse um, later on in Matthew. And that's when they add in Matthew 121 this little piece that says, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now what's interesting about this prophecy is it speaks, I think, kind of about both the dual nature of God. It speaks about the dual nature of God. The virgin will conceive. So here's the thing. Virgins don't conceive. And they don't give birth to a son. That's a miracle. So the fact that a virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son, that's the dual nature of who this Messiah, this Emmanuel is. Another thing I think is interesting is when you think about the miracle of his holiness, let me just give you a few examples. We see in the Old Testament, we see at Mount Sinai, right? God uh, hovers over Mount Sinai and he tells Moses, don't let the people touch the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they're going to surely, what, die. Okay, what about the Ark of the Covenant? Remember when the guy reached out for a second and touched the, the Ark of the Covenant? What happened? He died. Uh, yeah. Um, there are other examples, right? Like the Holy of Holies even. You know, if, if, you, if you don't have things just right as the high priest and you go into the Holy of Holies, you've got the rope around your ankle just in case you fall over dead. And if you fall over dead, they'll pull you out. What's interesting is that there's a, there's a lyric in the, in the song, Silent Night. And we all sing it and we don't think about it, but I've been thinking about it this week. The dawn of redeeming grace. I want you to think about that line. He's the dawn of redeeming grace. And this is what I mean. Now we have that same holy God who couldn't be near uh, sin, right? He couldn't be anywhere near it. People were falling out dead because he's too holy. And yet somehow in his majesty and the wonder of who he is, he has confined that holiness to a created flesh of a baby. Go there with me just for a second. In the dawn of redeeming grace, now people are looking at him, kissing him on the face. They're not dying. It's the, from the very moment of his birth, we see the dawn of redeeming grace. We see the beginning of God saying, you know what? I'm not going to count that sin against you because if I did, you would drop out dead. This is the moment of redeeming grace. It's beginning now in the form of a baby. Isn't that beautiful? Next week, we're going to unpack what it means to have God with us. There's so much there. We're going to spend a whole morning speaking about it next week. What I found as I looked at some of these stories 
this week is that God's been given a lot of titles. Jesus has been given a lot of titles. But the thing I found so interesting is that he's only been given one name. He's been given lots of titles and things that he'll do, characteristics, personalities, things that we'll know him as. But the reality is he's only been given one name. One name. His name is Jesus. It's a Jewish custom that the father names the baby. So rightfully so, God names his son, his only son, Jesus. Look at it with me, Matthew 1.20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, speaking of Joseph, in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He didn't say, Joseph, come up with something cool. Joseph, just something that works. No, God already had a name in place, and it had to do with his purpose. It had to do with his identity. It's the only name he's been given, and God has given him this name. It literally says the explanation in verse 21, because he's going to save his people from their sins. When you translate Yeshua, it literally means Yahweh saves Yahweh saves the very purpose at the core of his story, at, at the heart of the mission of Jesus, defines who he is. It even defines his name. It's to save. It's to save. And lastly, we see that the name of Jesus is above every single name. I mean, Paul couldn't say, hey, at all the many names of Jesus. No, he just says, at this name. Let's look at it. I love this section. This is, I'll go on record saying this is maybe the greatest Christmas text of scripture there is. It gives the greatest um, holistic look at what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Look with me in, in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God was highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus. Can you say that with me? Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, this is the Christmas story. This is not typically looked at maybe as part of the traditional Christmas text, but this is it. He comes in the form of a human baby. He empties himself somehow. I can't understand it. There's a mystery of how a holy God who, Scripture says, makes the earth his footstool. Somehow he humbles himself and takes on the form of a human baby. Not considering who he's been, what he's done to be grasped, but he comes and serves us to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Do you know this Jesus? I mean, you know Christmas. Everybody loves Christmas. Everybody loves the food. Everybody loves the time off. Everybody loves the sentiment, the warm fuzzies. They're great. But do you know this Jesus of Christmas? I'm so excited. We had food pantry this past week. And I'm telling you, I don't understand it, but God is doing something in our food pantry. And, and it doesn't happen every Monday, but this past Monday, we had 15 people trust Jesus to be their Savior in our food pantry. <laughs> Praise God. So I don't know. There's times that I, that I kind of speak to them and I share Jesus with them. They kind of just look at me like, okay. And there are times where they, it just feels receptive and the Lord moves in such a way that I can't explain. Well, I would just ask the same thing this morning. Do you know this Jesus of Christmas? Not the little baby in all our nativity scenes that we just kind of wrap up in the comfort of the season. But do you know the purpose? Do you know this one who has come for your soul? He's not come for people who are perfect. He's come for me and you. He's come for the sick, the broken, the tired. We got to recognize that's who we are and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. His purpose is to save. His purpose is to change. His purpose is to give us hope. And it's reflected in the name above every single name. The name of Jesus. He's given a lot of titles. He's given a lot of titles. He's given a lot of attributes and characteristics. But he's only been given one name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess. There is no other name among men, right? We talked about it last week. Peter said before the Sanhedrin, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And those men knew, they saw in their coins because Caesar Augustus had minted on the coin, right? And said, there is no other name except the name Caesar Augustus. And so when Peter says that to the Sanhedrin, he's, he's being rebellious. He said, oh no, you've been given the, the wrong information. There's only one son of God. There's only one true king. His name is Jesus and he's come to save. Listen, this morning, if you've never trusted him, if you've never made a, a commitment to follow him, to say, God, I wanna know you. I want to experience you with my life, not just some religious stuff. I don't want to just come to a church. I don't want to just sing some songs that have your name in it. I want it to change my life. I want it to do something of significance in me. I'll ask you what I asked the people in the pantry this past week. Are you ready? Are you ready to make a change, to do something different? Are you ready for Jesus to change your heart? and your life and to let it affect how you live. Are you ready? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? If there's anybody here this morning, you'd just say, you know what? I'm ready. I've been around the church. I've experienced things in the church, but I've not been living for Christ. I want to know him as my savior. I'm ready. Would you just slip up your hand so I can just pray for you? I'm not going to call you out. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to ask you to come down. I just, I just want to pray for you. Anybody else? A couple of people, thank you. I just want to be honest and say, I just, I'm ready. I'm done living for myself. I'm ready. Anyone else? 
Okay, you can put your hands down. For anyone here that would say, you know, I thought I was ready and I, I thought I trusted Jesus a long time ago and I've just not been living for him. In fact, I've stepped outside of the provision and protection of the Prince of Peace and I don't have peace and I want peace again in my life. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand? Thank you. I'm just gonna pray for you. I want that peace in my heart. I want, I want to know him. Thank you. Okay. Would you look at me just for a moment here before we pray? I'm gonna just pray a simple prayer. I'm gonna pray a prayer. You can put your hands down. I, today, if you would say, listen, I wanna trust him. I wanna know him. I'm ready to change. I'll just give you, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer and you can borrow my prayer, okay? For those of you who are ready to continue to say, Lord, I want, to, I want to make sure I'm under the covering of your peace. Would you just speak to him? As we pray, don't just listen to my prayer. Pray a prayer with me. Can we pray all over this room for that peace, for that presence of the one who saves? Jesus, would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. I ask that you forgive me, that you change my heart, that you save me, Lord, and that you help me to never be the same from this point on. Would you change my life? I'm ready, God. I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to have the, the peace that the world gives. I want to have your peace, Lord. Would you change my heart? Maybe you would say, Lord, today I... I've, I've, I've stepped out of your covering. I'm trying to do it my way. I'm trying to live on my own terms. I want to come back under your covering. I want to come back under your wing. I want to know the peace that you and you alone can give me. Would you forgive me? Would you receive me? And would you help me to walk in you and in your grace? And God's people said, amen.